Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, where you will get tips to expand your legal nurse consulting skills. Every week, you'll hear from experts from within and outside of legal nurse consulting. They will share their knowledge to help you grow. Your show is moderated by Pat Iyer, a legal nurse consultant with 30 years experience. So join our community, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Here's Pat. Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast. I'm Pat Iyer, and I have with me Crystal Crawford. We're going to take you in the show into the neonatal intensive care unit to where our smallest patients live and struggle to survive. And in this podcast, Crystal will be sharing information with us from her standpoint as being an experienced nurse in labor and delivery, in high-risk antepartum, and in neonatal intensive care unit. She is a legal nurse consultant and an expert Mm -hmm. witness. Crystal, welcome to the show. Thanks, Pat. Thank you for having me. What we decided today is to talk about a complication that can have some pretty devastating implications for these little, little patients, and that is necrotizing enteral colitis. Mm-hmm. We're going to refer to it as NEC and yes. in this program because <laughs> it's a little bit easier to say. And Crystal and I selected this because it can be such a serious and sometimes um, highly significant in terms of damages condition. So Mm -hmm. let's start for our viewer who is not familiar with this condition. What is neck and what are its symptoms? Okay, well, um, neck is a a serious gastrointestinal problem that mostly affects um, premature babies. Um, It can create a hole in the intestine, um, which can leak bacteria into the abdomen, causing um, very severe illness and oftentimes catastrophic injury. You know, I can think about adults who I've taken care of who had peritonitis Mm -hmm. with um, similar etiologies, although a much larger colon, and I know how painful it Mm. is for adults. I can't imagine for kids who don't understand anything about what's happening to them, what it's like for that neonate to experience that. Right. And, you know, these little babies can't talk to us. So we have to be diligent and constantly assessing these premature babies for any gastrointestinal disturbances. Um, So some of the symptoms are a sudden change in feeding tolerance, um, Sometimes a baby will spit up and have a bilious or a bright green emesis. Um, the belly is larger than normal. You know, you work back-to-back days. The second day you come in, you see the belly is bigger and distended. Um, at times you see some recti- rectal bleeding. Um, and then, you know, as the as it gets, the neck gets more pronounced and more severe, you see... Um, some induration of the skin, like a thickening and a redness over the the abdominal wall area. Um, and then also you see some clinical findings like apnea, lethargy, um, and all these are very general 
uh, symptoms that oftentimes can happen with premature babies across the board um, with any illness. Um, but so you really do have to pay attention and, and catch these symptoms quickly. And some of those things that you're describing are subtle. Are there other conditions with which neck can be confused? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so, so neck can accompany um, bacteremia. So any um, other bacterial infection, like a, a GBS infection or MRSA, um, you can see neck develop in those um, neonates as well. Um, and, you know, sometimes the babies have respiratory distress and they show lethargy and they show a lot of nonspecific findings as apnea and respite for, you know, continued respiratory failure, um, feeding intolerances, especially if you have to put a, a neonate on a, any kind of CPAP situation for, uh, respiratory distress that oftentimes inter- introduces air into the stomach, which leads to feeding intolerances as well. If a legal nurse consultant was looking at a medical record, what kind of diagnostic tests would the LNC expect to see? So there isn't one specific test that says, yes, this baby had neck, um, unless surgery was completed or, um, a postmortem was completed on the neonate. Um, so most of the time you're going to be paying attention to those clinical findings. You can, um, x-rays are a good um, diagnostic tool to use. Um, you can see intramural gas or gas outside of the intestine that can indicate neck. Um, abdominal ultrasounds can be useful as well. And also following the lab work, um, CBCs, are we seeing that the baby um, is showing any kind of infection through CBC? Uh, are the platelets low? Uh, and can we do blood culture? Can we see what is happening inside the blood that can give us an idea if neck is present? And I think about the implications of this, Crystal. When you talked about x-ray or ultrasound, and I'm thinking about... Um you know, just a preemie, for example, mm-hmm. it might be a bubble of air that might be visible in a, a tiny abdomen. We're not talking about big expanses of tissue. These are requiring, I would think, the the person who's interpreting the ultrasound or the x-ray, they have to be very sharp at detecting tiny changes in tiny bodies. Absolutely. It takes a very discerning eye and a very um, extensive experience to to look at these x-rays and really determine um, if the baby is having the early, you know, if the baby's in the early stages of neck um, or could possibly lead to that. Um, so it is a very... Um, detailed and very, I guess, critical reading um, for those who are reading these um, results. Are there certain people, and 
I guess I should call babies people. They are definitely people, but uh, mm-hmm. it's probably more appropriate to say neonates. Are there certain neonates who are at higher risk for neck to develop? Yeah, absolutely. So um, neck is usually seen in um, pretty much very premature and very low birth weight um, infants. So the earlier this infant is born, um, the higher the risk for neck to is to occur. Um, accompanied um, with blood transfusions, accompanied with not providing donor milk, if, if formula um, feeding has been associated with an increase of, of the incidence of neck. Um, so those kind of situations are, are important to take into consideration when you have a baby that appeals to your sixth sense that maybe is getting sicker on you. And one of the concerns that we have in looking at this from a nursing liability perspective is that we know that in some hospitals, they are being staffed by inexperienced people, that more experienced staff nurses have moved on, resigned. So what you're describing, if I understand it, is a subtlety. When you talk about a sixth sense, it takes experience Mm -hmm. to develop that. Now, we went through a phase in nursing when I was in staff development. We talked about nursing intuition. It was a big phrase Mm -hmm. back uh, in the 1980s when I was in staff development. And how do you develop intuition? And who do you go to when you have concerns? Some of what we're talking about today, Crystal, it strikes me as the delay in diagnosis, the misdiagnosis, Mm -hmm. which can have devastating effects on these kids. Uh, What is the role of the nurse in helping to diagnose this? Right. So it's a very good point. When we are nurses at the bedside, whether we start on day one or if we come in with decades of experience, it's so important to trust that sense within you to realize something's off, something's a little different with this baby. I don't know what it is, um, but I, it really appeals to me to, to listen and watch this baby very closely. So one of the responsibilities is, is to really do detailed assessments, and especially if you feel like this neonate is getting sicker, um, to do it more frequently. We all have our standards of care. We have protocols and policies that tell us we should assess every so often. Um, It doesn't mean that that should be the only time we assess. Should we assess more frequently? Uh, So that's that's one responsibility. Another responsibility is to know who's vulnerable. Is this baby's history telling you uh, that he or she's at risk for neck? Um, how preterm was this baby? Did he or she return receive donor milk? Did he or she get um, a, a a blood transfusion? Were there intestinal complications with this baby? Um, so you do want to know the history and be very um, diligent in remembering that and documenting um, on your report every day what this history was. Um, 
And another uh, responsibility for a nurse is to be a patient advocate. Um, you're at the bedside for 12 hours a day. And, and I think most of us as nurses practice continuity of care, meaning we come to the bedside and the next day we come to the same bedside, right? We, we're not really switching up our um, our assignments every day just for the fun of it. We like to take care of the same babies over and over. So we know this baby. A lot of times we know the families. Um, do the parents have concerns? Do the parents who have spent hours and hours and hours at the bedside feel this that their baby is, is acting differently today? Um, so that's very important as well, is just to, to see the pattern and recognize the pattern differences. Um, and these kiddos, these little neonates, they get sick quickly and, and to a degree where they can develop se sepsis within a matter of hours. So those assessment skills and that intuition is very important. So after that, you know, once you realize something is happening, your next responsibility is obviously notifying the physician. We've all been in those instances if we've practiced long enough that physicians maybe not want to listen. Um, but first and foremost, we're patient advocates. Um, we have to, despite some introverted, introverted personalities, we have to be patient advocates and say, I really feel like there's something wrong. If, if this physician doesn't want to, um, doesn't want to follow up with your assessment skills or your intuition is also our responsibility to go up the chain of command. Um, and that's tough. That's really hard for us nurses to do. And I don't think we can underestimate that because I had an opportunity to present a talk about patient safety and bullying when I was at an international council of nurses and I was presenting in Australia and several people came up to me afterwards from many parts of the world who discussed how hard it is in their culture for a nurse to confront a physician, the power difference, the disparity, the, um, the intonations, the nonverbal and verbal body language, the comments that can be directed to a nurse who is a patient advocate can be fierce, not just mm -hmm. minor, but fierce. Who do you think you are to tell me what I should be doing? What does that do to communication in your experience? Before we continue with the show, I'd like to share this special announcement with you. Can you handle growing pains? Unless you want to intentionally limit the size of your LNC business, your business will not grow without subcontractors. You may feel like a hamster on a wheel, endlessly racing to keep up with work. I'm Pat Iyer, an experienced legal nurse consultant. I grew a large business with subcontractors. Many LNCs interested in expanding their business look for ways to increase their revenue given the limited amount of time they have. You can expand your reach and your income through subcontractors. I've recruited and trained hundreds of subcontractors. I will caution you that working with subcontractors provides significant benefits. It also involves work. 
When you bring people into your company as subcontractors, you're responsible for the quality of their work, making sure they turn their reports in on time, making sure they're prepared for testifying, and answering attorneys' calls and well representing your company. Are you willing to train people? At the very least, you'll need to train a subcontractor in how you do business. A new LNC will need much guidance. I found a way to cut down having to repeat the same training for each subcontractor by creating a password-protected website to provide ready access to tips on being an expert witness. The site provided content on what experts needed to know, sample reports, sample cross-examination tactics, lessons learned, examples from expert witness transcripts, and much more. Finally, you must be prepared to let subcontractors go if they don't meet your standards. For me, the ability to expand my business outweighed the drawbacks. If you want an in-depth explanation about what it means to work with subcontractors, get my book, LNC Subcontracting, How to Boost Your Business at lnc.tips forward slash creating series. Now let's return to the show. Well, it impacts it so devastatingly. Um, I hope as a culture, we are getting away from that. Um, I certainly work within a unit where that culture is not tolerated and we work very closely with each other. Um, Our neonatologists trust us very much and we trust them very much. So I'm very fortunate to be in that situation, but I've also had those times where um, I was intimidated um, and there were intimidation tactics used against me um, for me to back down. Um, Fortunately, that's not my personality to back down. Um, But so the culture is very important in a unit. Um, If you feel, if you have a neonate who you feel is getting sick, it's really important to gather some allies around you, not so much as to um, bully the physician back, but to get a new set of eyes, maybe someone who is outside the situation a little bit, a charge nurse can approach the the physician and help you go up that chain of command. It's always easier when you have some backup um, to do that. Um, Another communication factor is is that nurse experience. Um, You know, we are having new grads and NICUs at times. Um, You want to make sure this new grad feels comfortable coming to the more experienced nurses to ask questions. Maybe through orientation, that new grad struggled a little bit, is now off orientation. It's it's up to all of us to check in with those, those new grads or those newer nurses who are new to the NICU and check on their babies. Go in, peek in on their baby while they're doing assessment. Um, ask how that baby's doing, um, especially if we've had that baby before. Um, Another communication issue is is the night shift, day shift rotation. 
Um, night shift tends to see less of administration, sees less of the physicians. There's more of a skeleton crew on night shift. Um, maybe they're not doing CT scans or ultrasounds or x-rays on night shift as much. Um, same with the weekends and especially the holidays. Um, is there staff to um, run these tests for these babies when you feel um, these neonates are getting sicker on an off-peak time? Yeah, that's a great point. And it comes up in lots of contexts. We don't have 24-hour-a-day resources available in the United States and in some parts of the country which are less populated, those resources may not exist at all. Right. So um, in one of those, um, in those instances, it might mean transferring the baby to a higher level of care. Let's talk about what the levels of care are in this context. Can you define that for our audience? Sure. There's four main levels of the of NICU. Um, our level one NICUs um, are just NICUs that provide basic care for well newborns. Um, they provide care for newborns that are that are born closer to their due date. Maybe they need 48 hours of antibiotics, so they're just getting a blood culture and some some IV antibiotics. Um, our level two NICUs are babies that um, are born at 32 weeks and um, un up or um, greater than 1,500 grams. Those babies um, don't require a higher level because maybe they get some basic diagnostic testing, um, blood work and x-ray and ultrasound, but they're not going to require surgery or any extensive um any extensive referrals for cardiac or um, surgery or anything like that. Um, so, and then the level three NICUs are babies that are born extremely premature or extremely low birth weight. So these babies that are cared for in these NICUs um, can be on sustained life support, um, a full range of respiratory support, like assisted ventilation, um, and they can have um, availability to them, uh, full access to pediatric medical subspecialties, surgical specialists, speech pathologists, occupational um, health, all, all that. Our fourth level of NICU is those who require the most care. Um, these, they provide the highest level of care and are usually state-of-the-art facilities. Uh, they require advanced and complex surgical procedures, a lot of cardiac procedures um, for congenital heart diseases. They uh, These facilities provide ECMO, um, which is a life, su life support um, technique for neonates. Well, so you want to be so fortunate as to be able to get care in a facility mm -hmm. that has a level four NICU, if at all possible. Yes, unfortunately, um, they're spread out in the nation. Um, there's a lot of areas that are rural and don't have access to level four NICUs. 
Um, and they can be hours and hours away in driving um, for these families. I recall, Crystal, uh, being transported by ambulance when I went into premature labor with my son, taken from a hospital that had a level one nursery to a hospital that had a level three nursery. And I didn't mm. appreciate the difference until I walked into the NICU after delivering my child in the level three facility. I was in labor at the time that I was transported. And by the way, the ambulance driver couldn't find the hospital, which was a very oh, interesting bye. experience as we're driving around the town and I'm having contractions until he called the oh, local no. police. And the policeman asked, oh. what's wrong with the patient? And they said, she's in labor. And within seconds, we had a policeman directing the ambulance at 65 miles an hour through the main town to get to that hospital as quickly as possible. Oh, wow. I remember looking up at him at his face and he was he was a young trooper. I would say he was probably in his 20s. And the expression in his face was, thank God I didn't have to deliver this baby and I can turn her over to the emergency room. I got her here safely. <laughs> yes, that's that's so traumatizing. And it, we oftentimes take for granted the, the higher level of cares that we have um, if we happen to live by them. But it can... It can um, you know, transporting a neonate is, is has its own complications. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of the factors in identifying neck early. Um, if if surgical intervention is needed, um, you want to transport earlier rather than later because transportation of a couplet or transportation of of a neonate has its own complications. Yes, it does. That's what they explained to me. Mm -hmm. It's better for you mm -hmm. to transport the fetus in utero than for us mm -hmm. to have to transport the baby after delivery. Absolutely. Tell us about the treatment. What is in line for the neonate who is correctly diagnosed with neck and is headed to the next point in care? Right. So there are essentially two types of neck or two paths you can take with um, a neonate that's um, been diagnosed with neck. One is clinical and the other is surgical. Um, if it's caught early enough, you can just clinically follow that babies. Um, and some of the treatments that we do for babies um, who are just starting to get sick with neck is we stop all feedings and we put the baby on gut rest. We also, um, we insert at my facility, we insert a repogal, which is a suction device down into the stomach and, and evacuate the stomach contents um, and continue that, that abdominal or stomach decompression. Um, we do a blood culture to make sure the baby is not septic. Um, and if we do, and obviously if we do blood cultures, we just start antibiotics right away. We're not going to wait 48 hours for that blood culture to return definitively before starting antibiotics. So we place the baby on broad spectrum, broad spectrum antibiotics. Um, we also 
will start IV fluids and give hyperalimentation, which essentially is nutrition through the IV while we give that baby some gut rest. Um, and if the baby should need surgery, obviously we would transfer to a higher level of care or um, consult surgery to um, to dissect out that dead bowel. Now, I have a couple more questions for you before we end. And, and the mm -hmm. first is you're an LNC. Looking at a chart, there's been a a lawsuit or a potential lawsuit if you're helping the plaintiff attorney and the family comes in and says, my child ended up with a colostomy because they didn't diagnose what was wrong with the baby fast enough. Mm -hmm. And the attorney turns to you as the LNC and says, help me figure out, is this a valid case? What should we be looking for in the medical record in that situation? Yeah, so you want to start where where the baby started presenting symptoms. Um, you start your investigation there. When did this baby start presenting symptoms? What were the assessments happening? Uh, what were the assessments during the symptoms? Were they uh, were the assessments different from day shift to night shift? Um, so you would expect a worsening core. So uh, an increase of um, detailed assessments as the baby got sicker. So we're talking abdominal assessments, um, emesis ass assessments. Are we looking at the stool? Are we seeing blood in the stool? Have we sent the stool off for um, a test to, that tests blood in the stool? Um, are we seeing signs of shock? Are we seeing the heart rate um, go up or the respirations go up? Are we seeing blood pressures drop? Are we seeing temperature differences? Sometimes when neonates get sick, they actually become colder. Um, so that's an indication too. They require heat because they um, are utilizing their energy to fight infection and can't keep themselves warm. So it is a very subtle difference, and it really takes a, a, a discerning eye to look at these records and see very slight but very, very important patterns in these assessments. Um, did the nurse notify physicians? Were there appropriate tests um, ran? Um, did we get an early x-ray? Did we get a repeated x-ray? Um, did we document properly at all? Um, if the nurse was not, well, if the nurse wasn't being listened to by the physician, did he or she go up the chain of command, which should also be documented in the chart as well? Um, were antibiotics given to this uh, neonate after a blood culture was drawn? And of course, was the baby transferred to a higher level of care? It's quite a set. Thank you for that. We could even create that into a checklist and say, let's look at each of these items to see if the standard of care was followed. Yes. Without a lot of room for error, without a lot of flexibility in timing, I think you've emphasized how important it is to rapidly diagnose this 
with a child who could go into shock in a matter of hours, it's not a question of something that's drawn out over days. Absolutely. And the, one of the big signs of babies getting sick, and even even if you're not thinking of neck, you realize something's wrong just by an ill-appearing baby, being a baby having apneic spells, requiring more and more oxygen or respiratory support. Um, so it is those very subtle signs that you you a nurse, a wise nurse has to pay attention to and document properly on. We have reached the end of our time. I feel like we could talk about this much longer, but we won't. Yes. How can our listener find out more about you and how to contact you, Crystal? Um, you can go to my website um, at CrawfordLegalNurseConsulting.com. I'm also on LinkedIn at CrawfordLegalNursing.com. And you can see all my info there. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at CrawfordLegalNurseConsulting.com. And let me spell Crawford for the people who are listening to this. Mm -hmm. It's C-R-A-W-F-O-R-D. And we've been talking to Crystal Crawford about neck, one of the, the feared complications. And as you can see, the diagnosis of neck is based on being attentive to changes in the patient's condition, picking up nuances, communicating well with physicians or with mm -hmm. advanced nurse practitioners who may be involved in overseeing the care of this neonate and following through the responsibilities to go up the chain of command when the nurse is not getting the response that they are looking for. Thank you, Crystal, for sharing your wisdom. I appreciate that. Thank you, Pat. Thank you so much for having me and, and allowing me to share my wisdom on such an, a, an important um, subject matter. You are welcome. And for you who is watching this program, be sure to download our app, which is Expert Edu, to be able to watch podcasts or listen to them on your phone in the palm of your hand. You can also get updated videos, articles, blogs, information about our new book releases and conferences. Expert Edu is available for Apple users and for Android phone users. So get that and stay connected with us and come back next week for a new show, new guest, new topic. Thanks so much. Coming up next, we're taking you into your pill bottle. Amanda Hutton Parrott is a legal nurse consultant who's my guest, who has expertise in working on pharmaceutical litigation at a high level. You'll hear about her role in her show, and I'm gonna ask her now to give us a few bullet points of the topics that we covered in her podcast. Right. In this podcast, we will look at the FDA drug approval process, uh, which drugs are viable and why, and uh, from a pharmaceutical company perspective, oh, themes around product, pharma product liability lawsuits, and the role of the legal nurse practitioner or, or legal nurse consultant. There are many ways that as legal nurse consultants, we can help attorneys with product liability cases. And you might have done some of those cases yourself as our listener of legal nurse 
podcast, Amanda will give you deeper insight into this process, all the various steps in her podcast. Be sure to listen to Amanda Hutton Parrott's podcast on pharmaceutical liability and the big pharma process. Coming up next. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for legal nurse consultants on LegalNurseBusiness.com. Pat coaches legal nurse consultants so they make more money, get more clients, and avoid expensive mistakes. Check out her coaching program at LNCAcademy.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest.